Oh, good morning, church. I hope you're rejoicing in the Lord this morning, because good is good all the time. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you, Joel, for inviting me to speak this morning. It's a great privilege. Okay. In fact, it's a sort of an anniversary for me, almost to the day. 30 years ago, in July 1993, I was appointed to my first pastorate in a quaint little North, uh, East Devon town called Ottery St Mary, which is a strange thing because just five miles down the road, a young man called Joel Pridmore was growing up. I didn't know this at the time, but in the mysterious purposes of God, you're now my pastor and I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so there we are. Um, and after you uh, invited me to speak, I, I had a sense of what I was meant to say and uh, of course then you started a new series sermon series, and this didn't, in my mind, seem to fit in. But then last week, Idori was speaking, and I realised that it's a kind of a spin-off from that series in a way. So, um, let's um, read the scripture, um, which is from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Do I have to push this down? Yeah. Anything? Ah! Oh, sorry, I can't see it on the other one. I thought it was, yeah, right. Is that right? Good, right. Okay, so let's read it together if you're happy to do that. Dear friends, let us want one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is love, love shed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you that your word is so much more than just print on a page. Lord, it's, it's living and active and able to touch and change lives. And we just pray that your word would find a place in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so there's no prizes for guessing what our subject is this morning. Um, This is John's great passage about love. It's the culmination of a theme he's been developing in the earlier chapters of this letter. And he uses some form of the word love about 27 times in just 15 verses. So although it may seem a bit repetitive, the message is actually quite profound. And I hope it will bless us this morning. The world is always talking about love, isn't it? Love makes the world go round, the saying goes. Love is the theme of so many poems, books and films. And how many song titles include the word love? We could all think of loads, couldn't we? All you need is love, love changes everything. I will always love you, the list is endless. Love is a powerful force. Love is something everyone has a need for, but how do you define it? Some of you are probably too young to remember this, but many moons ago, when Prince Charles, as he then was, became engaged to Princess Diana, there was a rather awkward moment when the journalist interviewing them made some rather stupid comment to the effect that they were obviously very much in love. Diana giggled and said, of course. And Charles said, whatever love means. Which was probably not his finest moment. People may well have different ideas of what human love means. But that isn't what the Apostle John is talking about in this scripture. John is talking very specifically about Christian love, a love that originates with God himself, a love that God imparts to born-again believers through whom it can flow out into the world. And Because we're used to reading the Bible in English or Welsh, it can be easy to forget that these were not the languages in which the scriptures were originally written. The New Testament was written in Greek, and unlike us, the Greeks didn't have just one word for love, they had quite a few, all of them with quite different concepts. So, for example, they had a word for family affections, like the love of a mother for her children, which was storga. Then they had another word for the love between friends, which was philia, and another, eros, which you can probably guess is for the desire between a man and a woman. But Christian love is quite different from any of those. The love of God revealed in Jesus is represented by that Greek word agape. Agape love is an unselfish love, a self-sacrificial love which desires the very best for those to whom it's directed. A love that doesn't expect anything in return. Agape love is a love that never fails, even if it's totally rejected. In fact, agape love is not the sort of love that occurs naturally in human beings at all. It's not even something that you can learn. Agape love can only be received from the Father heart of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5, uh, Paul says this, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And that's the kind of love which heads up the list of the fruit of the Spirit in uh, Galatians 5. Now one of the reasons that John wrote this letter was to combat some false teaching that had been uh, creeping into the church, and part of that revolved around the matter of love. And some people were saying that um, the highest form of love was man's love for God. Now, of course, it's a scriptural requirement we should love God. There's no question about that. 
But to suggest that the ultimate expression of love is mere human love was a massive heresy. And, and John was, wanted to put it right. So he's effectively saying, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. Um, to quote verse 10 again, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The greatest love of all is the love that comes from God and which he's poured out on us. Then John develops the argument. He reminds his readers that uh, God's purpose is that his love will be reproduced so that we will in turn begin to love others in the same way. And furthermore, says John, unless we do learn to love others in that way, then we are totally deceiving ourselves if we claim to love God. That is the, the acid test of the authenticity of our faith whether or not something of God's love is seen in us, in our speech, in our behaviour, in our lifestyle, and in our attitude towards others. So let's just unpack this a bit more. Because the Bible describes many aspects of God's character. It tells us that he's holy. It tells us that he's just, he's forgiving, he's merciful, he's powerful, he's faithful, to mention just a few. But above all, is a God of love. He's a God of love. And this is the first thing to get a hold of. Love is not simply one of God's many attributes. It's not an add-on. It's the heart of his very being. It's the quality that motivates everything that God does. It's really important to grasp this. God created in love. He rules in love. He acts in love. He disciplines in love. As John says in verse 16, God is love. Think about it. In the beginning, God created people in his own image. He created us with the purpose that we should be like him and enjoy fellowship with him and take responsibility for stewardship of the world that he'd created. That was an act of love. And even though human sin damaged our relationship with him and separated us from him, God never gave up on us. God never changes. It's the same yesterday, it's the same today, the same forever. Amen? Throughout history, our loving God was working towards the moment when he would send Jesus to save us from the effects of sin so that our relationship with him could be restored. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent his son. And what a tremendous sacrificial act that was. I mean, we rightly, quite properly, focus on the supreme sacrifice of Jesus... Calvary, but we must also remember what it cost the Father to send his Son, his one and only Son, to earth, knowing what he would have to suffer. Yet God was prepared to do that because of his love for us. A love that reached out to us even when we were lost in sin to provide a way back to him. As Paul puts it in Romans 5, again, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, that's tremendous love, isn't it? That's agape love. But God didn't simply provide us with forgiveness and leave it at that. Perhaps I shouldn't really say simply because there was nothing simple about Calvary, but I think you know what I mean. God begins in the previous chapter of this letter with these words. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. When anyone turns to Jesus in repentance and faith, They not only receive God's forgiveness, he also adopts them as his child. 
and they become part of his family and can know him as father. I don't know if you've seen the programme Race Across the World. Several couples are deprived of um, their phones and they're only given very limited resources and um, have to use their initiative to travel quite considerable distances across countries to reach the next checkpoint. In a recent series in Canada, there was a Muslim couple and they'd managed to hitch a lift. And in the course of conversation, they happened to mention that they'd been unsuccessful in trying to start a family. And the man who was driving them asked if they'd considered adoption. And then after a pause, he revealed that he himself had been adopted. And then he said these words, which have kind of stayed with me. He said, adoption is the greatest expression of love. And I immediately thought how brilliantly that sums up God's, um, God's relationship towards us. His love reaches out to the lost sheep in the world, and whenever someone responds, he adopts them into his family. You remember Jesus said in, in, in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, to be chosen by God. That's really something, isn't it? And it's true for every born-again believer. And incidentally, I've heard some people who like to say that we're all God's children, but I'm afraid it's simply not true. Every person in the world is not God's child. Yes, we're all part of his creation, but to become a child of God, we have to respond to his love, and only then will he begin that work in us which will bring us into relationship with him. So how does that actually happen? Again, in in verse 13, John says, um, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So once again, the Holy Spirit is the key. Until we receive the Holy Spirit, we're on our own. We're separated from God. We're operating solely in our own strength. But when God adopts us into his family, Paul explains it like this. He says, because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals to us that God is our Heavenly Father, that we are his child. Does anyone here this morning know that they're a child of God? Oh, a few of you anyway. That's good. <laughs> in human terms, children will normally resemble one or other of their parents in some way. Even when there's a quite tiny baby come into the family, relatives and others will soon start looking at it and saying, oh, look, he's got his father's nose or hasn't she got a mother's hair? But beyond physical similarities, as children grow up, they frequently begin to display characteristics of behaviour that are also present in their parents. And sometimes these are good things, occasionally less so. And I can think of a number of times when one of our children has said or done something that we sort of thought wasn't quite so good, and uh, Rosemary and I have looked at each other and said, well, they didn't get that from me. <laughs> and the other one will say, well, not want me either, you know, and, which is a bit puzzling, but anyway. That, um, but I, I expect it's happened in your household too. Um, But the point is, in Christian terms, God's children should also resemble their heavenly Father. Our attitudes, our behaviour should reflect his divine nature. Now, of course, in in this world, there's no reason at all why adopted children should bear any resemblance 
to their adoptive parents. But as Christians, when we're born again, the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature and the life of Jesus begins to flow in us. Jesus himself used the illustration of the vine and the branches, didn't he, to, to uh, describe that. And Paul also made a, an amazing statement where he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. What an amazing statement that is. It sounds extraordinary, maybe even a bit presumptuous. But once again, it's true of every born-again believer. Uh, in verse 17, John says that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. And that's quite a challenging statement, isn't it? And But an amazing promise to take a hold of, that we can have no fear about judgment day. Of course, we're a work in progress. I mean, none of us has been made perfect yet, nor will we be this side of glory. But we each have something of the present of our God dwelling in us. And you know what? That's something that the followers of no other religion can say. We've got our God living in us. God loves everyone, no exceptions, and he expects us to love them too. His agape love has got to be the dominant, all-embracing quality in our lives. And that means all people, by the way, not just other Christians, not just the people we think are nice, or the ones we find it easy to get on with. It means everyone, including the annoying neighbours, right? It includes people who we might not actually like, but we should still love them with that unconditional love of God and want the very best for them. And that can be tough. I mean, to take an extreme example, we might feel that people like, say, Vladimir Putin don't actually deserve that. Surely that is the whole point. God's love is completely unmerited. None of us deserves it. And I'm sure God hates many of the things that we humans do, but his love nevertheless reaches out to us because he wants us to turn to him and repent and allow him to change us into the people that he created us to be. I remember that there was a church in Birmingham that occupied a building that used to be a cinema. It was on a roundabout, actually. And you know where they used to put the letters up? Big white letters on with the name of the films? Well, they used it to put up this slogan for the church. And it said, God loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And it's often been repeated, but I think it, it bears repeating because it is so true. I don't know whether any of you familiar with the American uh, musician, Christian singer, Don Francisco. He's written some great songs over the years. I mean, he's probably 77 now, I think. He's quite... But he's still going strong, I think. But one especially powerful one is called Love Is Not A Feeling. And, and there's one section that's quite strong, but it, it goes like this. It said, Jesus didn't die for you because it was fun. He hung there for love because it had to be done. And in spite of the anguish, his work was fulfilled because love is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. And that worldly love is usually all about feelings, but agape love is not a feeling. It's an act of the, of the will. Um, as I say, worldly love is usually all about feelings. And as Hidori reminded us last week, um, Jesus taught that we must love even our enemies. Now, feelings aren't going to help us much there. Agape love is completely contrary to human nature, but it's what God requires us to offer. And it's a big ask. 
but he gives us the power to do it. So we have to be prepared to take God at his word and step out of our comfort zone. Verse 7, seven following at the beginning of the passage, it said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Failing to love others is simply not an option for a Christian. It's not about how often you go to church. It's not about how much scripture you can quote. These things alone don't make you a Christian. I'm not saying they're bad things, obviously, but they're not what saves us at all. Plenty of religious people do those things, but the reality of a person's faith and their love of God is actually demonstrated by how much they love others. John kind of reiterates that in verse 20. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. John doesn't mince his words. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's no let out clause there, is there? Idore also reminded us last week we're God's ambassadors. We're here to represent him, to make him known and to pass on his love, just as Jesus did. And Jesus said, if you remember, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. His life, his love, revealed the nature of God. And so in the same way, the invisible God can be made visible through the lives of his people, through us. As often has been said, we are the only Bible that some people will ever read. But showing agape love doesn't mean hitting people over the head with the Bible. It doesn't mean just preaching at them. Agape love primarily means reaching out to people in ways that will bless them, serving others by meeting them at the point of their need, spending time with them, doing things for them they can't do themselves. Love in action speaks louder than any words. Conversations about Jesus may follow later as relationships develop. People may well ask at some point, why are you doing this for me? But then, of course, this gives us a perfect opportunity to begin to, to explain why. It's said that apparently when the Apostle John, who wrote this letter, was old and frail, he had to be carried into the meeting of believers every week by his disciples. And every week he would say the same thing. Little children, love one another. And over time it said that his disciples got a little bit kind of weary with this. And they said, well, Master, why do you always say this? And John said, because it's the Lord's command and if this only is done, it's enough. So in a sense, the Beatles had it right, didn't they? All you need is love, but it has to be the right sort of love. Agape love is the heart of the gospel. If we truly know the love of God in our lives, then we must choose to love others in the same way, to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. What is the slogan of Elim Abarisvit? Love God, love people. Four words, says it all. Maybe we don't feel that we're able to do anything out of the ordinary to show God's love to the world. But um, I just remember the words of the late Mother Teresa, who did such amazing work among the sick and the poor of Calcutta. And she said this, she said, If you can't do great things, do little things with great love. And if you can't do them with great love, do them with a little love. 
And if you can't do them with a little love, do them anyway. And I, you know, that is it's brilliant, isn't it? Love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. May God give us the grace to show his love to others, no matter how hard that may sometimes be. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your great love. That love that we don't in any way deserve. That love that you poured out on us in Jesus. That love that the Holy Spirit uh, imparts to us. And Lord, we know that it's your desire that we should not only return that love to you, but that we must also show that we really love you by loving others in the way that you loved us. That we don't have to just love the people that it's easy to love, that it's not about how we feel, in a sense, that we must choose to do that. And we just pray that it would give us that desire to share your love with the world. Uh, and to be the people that you want us to be. And Father, I know that you've given us your love by your Spirit, as we've just been reading this passage this morning. It's your Spirit that imparts your love to us. It's your Spirit that reveals that you are our Heavenly Father, that the Spirit that cries, Abba, Father. And Lord, we need your Spirit. And... Lord, we may have received the Spirit at different times in our lives, but your word says that we need to be continually filled with your Spirit because we leak. And some of us are dry. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And behold, streams of living water will flow from his innermost being. By that he meant the Spirit, which would later be received. And so... Lord, I just pray this morning that if anyone here is thirsty, and I'm sure many of us are, we're thirsty for more of your Spirit. Lord, will you slake our thirst this morning? Will you pour out your Spirit afresh? Maybe if, if that's your place this morning, maybe you want to just hold your hands out and in a sense of, of supplication to God. And I just say, Father, send your Spirit this morning once again, upon those that are thirsty. Pour it on that thirsty ground so that we can become more like the people that you created us to be and to show your love to the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon us. People here this morning, Lord, whoever is reaching out to you right now, please send your spirit, Father. Fill us in you. Again, thank you, Father. We don't have to depend on feelings to, to know that you respond to our prayers in that way. We, we may feel something, we may not, but Lord, we trust you. We believe that when we ask, that we have received. So, Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we, we are on holy ground this morning, not because we're in church, but because we're met in the name of Jesus. And you are here. 
so we bless you. And we pray that as we go from here, uh, that uh, we will go from here stronger than when we came in. And remember that the, the mission field begins outside as, as we go through the doors. That's where the mission field is. It's, we don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to South America. There are people all around us who, who are in need of your touch and of your love. Oh Lord, help us to be your ambassadors uh, and to be those who can bring change into a needy world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.